Welcome to the spoiler cast for Rehydrate. This episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, the dark forest, and death's end. If you don't want to be spoiled on future events, please skip this episode. This is Season 3, Episode 4, Natural Selection, where we will be discussing the first third of Part 3 of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. My name is Amin, and I have only read up to the current section. Hi, this is Dan. I've read the entire series. Hi, this is Talia. I've listened to the entire series, and I'm rereading along with the spoiler cast. So, Dan, you want to summarize what happened in this section for us? Yeah, in this section, we first start with uh, Lua Ji's Jump to the Future and a bunch of overconfident people in humanity's ability to defeat the Trisolarans or at least force them into peace talks. We also have uh, Lua Ji and Heinz stripped of the wallpaper status. Heinz gets wall breaking by Keiko, who reveals that he is actually uh, an escapist and has imprinted everyone with the same belief. Lua Ji has a really bad day, ending in almost getting murdered by a couch. And Zhangbei Hai turns out to be a defeatist and steals a natural selection to escape the solar system. So I wanted to kind of start with another prompt I saw also on Reddit from like that we had last time, which I thought was an interesting uh, thought exercise. And I mean, you might not have the full context around this, but maybe you can answer anyway. Uh, and so the prompt is, if you were to assign a hero and a villain to the whole saga, who would it be? And maybe, I mean, we'll start with you with who you know so far and who you would consider to be both the hero and the villain of the of the series up to this point as you consider it if there is one so so of the whole series that's that's a hard question i think of this book obviously it's supposed to be luoji which wait for which one hero yeah. or villain <laughs> oh sorry for for hero and and i think that's that's obviously been been set up through this whole thing as far as villain i'm i don't know i'm, I'm not really sure who the villain is supposed to be and i think that's part of why i enjoy reading this this book and this series is because it is, you know, even even like Zhang Beihai, he's he does some things that might be morally questionable, but his motives are explained well. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know about the other the other side of it. I, I guess I guess if I had to pick a villain, it would be the other two wall breakers. But what if you had to incorporate like the first book as well, like? Would you consider Ye Wen Jia like a villain yet? Yeah, I, I guess in the first book, that's who I. I, well, and I think yeah, we talked like of the whole saga. If you can try and conceptualize it as one, one work. Yeah, well, I like to hold off. I like to preserve judgment until I read the third book. But um, <laughs> of, of what I've read so far, I think that's that's kind of where I go. And and again, I, I think there's characters that I don't enjoy as much, but that's not because they're heroes or villains it's just because i think they're written awkwardly or funnily sure how about you talia i think it's actually really valuable to have amin go first because it's sort of like a time capsule at this yeah. point in the series do you would you agree with that totally yeah because i i know that my opinions definitely shifted over the course of the whole saga and even though i mentioned yeah Wenjie because she has this really jaded view and has this belief that a superior civilization would have superior technology and also superior morals and they'll like ride in on a white horse and like cleanse humanity and that seemed really naive at the time but then as I read later into the saga I think maybe that's a reflection of like her environment and maybe greater humanity is to blame rather than just having one easy target I might agree with Amin I mean Luoji is he gets really awesome and he doesn't get 
to choose being a wall facer, but he definitely goes out on his own terms, which you'll see in the third book. And that's like really epic. So does yeah. Zhang Beihai, I suppose. I like your point about Yoenji. I don't know that I would consider her be a villain only because like she's like a she's like a victim of circumstance, you know, like she didn't choose to grow up during the Cultural Revolution. She didn't choose to see her father get killed. She but she chose to- she chose to reach out to the Trisolarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But only because, you know, her view of humanity was so broken by the fact that, you know, she saw all these terrible things that humanity had put forward. You know, it's it's like saying like a person who has PTSD is like responsible for all the things that they do. Like they have like their circumstances that that lead to maybe some of their actions. You know, that's why there is like an insanity defense or that kind of thing, like where people just can't make rational decisions at, at some point. So who is like heroic then or who escapes their circumstances in in your estimation, Dan? So my I kind of I'm kind of cheat and take someone else's answer because <laughs> I really liked it uh, of the hero of the series is a uh, Yuntian Ming who actually like oh yeah yeah he his the and the reason they put forward that he's the hero is because he makes the greatest effort at his at his expense to actually save humanity right he comes up with this entire system of of uh, fairy tales and clues and it's like clues and it's like clues and it's like clues uh to kind of help humanity like go on the right path to actually like survive for a little bit longer humanity does it to some you know to varying degrees of success but like you know he takes the biggest risk his actions really do dwarf the sacrifices like of the wall uh facers we've seen like yeah. people who bury themselves in bunkers or ray diaz avoids the sun and that seems like a huge inconvenience but it just definitely pales into comparison to yun tianming that's a good answer is, is, yeah. is he the main character of death's end no, no that's no. what's so cool oh okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's it, it's hard to explain but like mm. he is he's a big motivating factor for the main character of death's end he's almost more like an idea for a lot of the book and a person yeah. for a small amount of the book okay yeah, actually, like, you know, so in the second book, in, in, in Dark Forest, Luo Ji has kind of this idealized version of, like, a woman, and you know? And so, like, Qingxing also, I think, kind of turns her opinion into, like, an idealized version of uh, Yun Tianming, um, once they're apart for a really long time. And even before that, Yun Tianming has an idealized version of Qingxin in her mind. So it's a weird, it's a weird system. <laughs> they have I think set they up. both earn it. But yeah, what yeah, do you yeah. think about what you just said reminded me of like the whole dark forest. Does anyone call that like a villain, quote unquote, because it's definitely very, it's a very cold view. Even if you have a rosy view of humanity through Lucian's eyes, you have a pretty bleak view of the whole universe that it's dying and it's because of the people who inhabit it. Yeah. I, I don't know that anyone called that out specifically, but yeah, I think there, there definitely were other ideas that were that were set as as villains, like even humanity's ideas, you know, that the kind of the small minded ideas and and, uh, and arrogance of humanity was sort of the villain of the series. Yeah, like there are a lot of interesting answers, and I'll, I'll link the the post and the and the show notes. Good idea for my my hero, or not for my hero, but for my my villain. I think it means right that there's no like singular villain, and that's why the story is interesting. Because like if you if you have the big bad, right, it's like it's cool, you know. Like we all like Gus Fring and Breaking Bad, you know that was awesome. But like the series, like is a little bit more nuanced, right? Because there's no like singular person that we're going against, and like every person that we could be against, like Yeo and Jie, you know, has motivations behind her. My villain, I think the only person I can think of is truly kind of villainous is Mike Evans because he just financed 
he didn't he just hated humanity <laughs> and he only did it because like he was rich i guess and you know he like he liked the environment and then he not only like founded the uto and financed them but like kind of militarized them and made them even more dangerous than than they would have been on their own and kind of kind of pushed all the events forward so and someone also mentioned that but i i didn't think of that on my own of <laughs> uh, that's who i would can consider the villain i don't think even the wall breakers really are particularly villainous I mean, they kind of are. They're bad guys, I guess, or bad people. But I don't know. They're particularly villainous. Maybe the ETO, but the ETO is also, you know, has motivations probably, you know, for each one of them. So, anyway, that that would be my answer. But I thought it was a really interesting question to kind of think about. Yeah, I think with Mike Evans, like if it hadn't been him, it would have been someone else. So again, I don't know if it's like him financing them that led to them succeeding. It's hard to pin one villain. Yeah. Yeah. So so why did neither of you say the Trisolarians are the villains? Because they're the ones who are trying to destroy humanity, theoretically. Yeah, I mean, that was another answer, too. I don't know. I guess, like, I see them... It's like saying we're villains for killing bugs, you know? Maybe we are. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the I mean, I, I think that's how I see... I mean, they say as much, right? That they consider us bugs. So we're just, like, something in the way of them being... Their species the being their able to survive. Yeah. yeah, like, their planet is dying and falling into their sun. And the only way they can do it is to escape. And they happen to get this message saying, hey, by the, we have this awesome planet. You should come check it out. <laughs> We're like, okay, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to think of the Trisolarans, although like Sophon, especially like yeah. when Sophon becomes like an avatar, she's definitely able to enact real harm. Like it's dangerous enough to have a Sophon lock on humanity science, but the actual like embodiment of how the Trisolarans act is pretty bloody. So. Yeah. It's interesting that neither Dan nor I ch- actually chose that. I did see someone mention like that, yeah, the Sofan robot, especially when she, yeah, she starts murdering people in Australia over food. <laughs> also like commits genocide. Yeah. <laughs> but all in good time. This was a pretty eventful little slice of the book. I mean, when you summarized at the top of the show, you were saying like Zhang Beihai's defection. And I think that's what a lot of this book has been leading up to. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we talked about it on the main show, but did I think you had maybe further questions around John Behide. Was there anything that you wanted specifically answered? On the main show, I was a little unclear as to what his path to get to where he is was. And Dan did a really good job of explaining that on the main show. So now on the spoiler cast, uh, I'm just curious where he goes and does he accomplish his, his mission or is this... I guess, does he play a big role in the rest of this book or do I have to wait for the next book for him to do a bunch of cool stuff? So not really. <laughs> the, there, there's an event. maybe 10 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, well, it's a little bit more than that. I think it's at, it's at the end. It's not, I don't think it's even next episode. I think it's the episode after that, maybe. I, I forget. But yeah, I mean, like, basically, he escapes on that ship and then they send some ships to... Some, some ships after him. And it's actually really interesting, like another sociological um, kind of thought exercise uh, because they realize that they're alone, um, like his ship and some of the other ships um, that are following them. They realize like they're too far away from the earth to actually get back to there. And so then they have to consider resources. And then it comes in, it turns into like the prisoner's dilemma of, you know, what do you do when you have these ships competing for resources? And so Zhang Beihai, is on one of the ships and his story is kind of intertwined with that. Absolutely. I think ultimately he does succeed. Maybe he doesn't live to see it, but like 
he does succeed in that his whole goal the entire series or the entire time he's been the entire book, I guess, has been for the humans to get away from the solar system because that's the only way he considers them to be able to survive. And so they do. Like, they natural selection gets away, and humankind is later able to you know, to live on because this ship is so far, you know, is now called galactic uh, galactic species because they're going through space. And actually, I said galactic species during the main show, which I think is maybe a spoiler. Um, because we don't know that they're actually out of the solar system yet, but I don't think, I think it was like such a minor spoiler or maybe so veiled that no one would have picked it up. So I would say that he is a victor. Zhang Beihai becomes a victor because he does make these predictions about the rest of humankind that do turn out to be correct. This is like a few pages ahead of where we finished when he's taking notes for himself Someone tells him you can dictate to the computer, and he says, "I'm, you know, paper lasts longer than a computer, and humanity definitely has to face the fact that like their computers don't last as long as they think, especially in the third book." And mm-hmm. he also predicts the morality and says, "Like in the future, people may not think that what we did was so terrible." To say it without giving too much away, and that that does seem to be pretty much where humanity does decide that if you're competing for resources, it's not like morally wrong to look for them and take them there's not a ton more there but like his legacy does live on throughout the rest of the series and it becomes super important he has like the car chase of the series though people are (laughs) chasing him already in their spaceships it's like um the last jedi where they have like the really slow space chase you know like where they just can't catch each other (laughs) but yeah like and i mean i don't know if you you've picked up on this but in the last in the main show i started a section where i kind of detail the ships that are that that have been introduced or going to be talked about in in this section that's because like there's becomes a lot of ships and i even confuse like which one did which like when i talk about this stuff like oh is it blue space that did this or gravity did this or whatever like (laughs) so like it's hard to kind of keep them all straight so and that's that's john behai's direct impact because you know he's kind of taking control of the natural selection and driving it forward into space, but then all these other ships kind of try to come interact with it. No, I I, I didn't catch that, but I was going to say natural selection is the only ship name I know so far. So we must yeah. not have gotten to the part where the it, it I had becomes... the three three in the last one. So the the there are a couple other minor ships. I mean, there was the Pacific. The Pacific was the one that that kind of carried the bombs, the stellar bombs between. Um, I think they're stored on Neptune, and they brought them around Jupiter, so they can explode them and 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 kind of show where the trisolarians are coming through. They kind of have the dust cloud, uh, and then there was another one that launched from it that I forgot the name of. Blue is this something. Bronze Age and Quantum yet, or is that in the next? No, that's the next. It was like more of a. It was like a small like fighter, the one that actually laid the bombs. I forget. It's called. It's called Blue something. Oh, Blue, Blue Shadow. Blue Shadow. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. That, yeah. There's Bronze Age, Quantum gravity blue space there's a whole bunch of them so so part of the premise of rehydrate originally was there were netflix is making a show out of this so we always think about how would this be a movie do you think that star wars has such a big part of people's mind share when it comes to things like this that everything is going to look like star wars destroyers and tie fighters and x-wings like or, or or when you envision them, do you envision them a lot different? Because when I was reading this, that's basically what I was envisioning was was Star Wars type ships. Hmm. I think actually, like they mention the natural selection as being like a disc with a big cylinder out of the back of it, and that I only remember that because that's exactly pretty much what the Enterprise is. 
Um, so that's why that's that's what's in my mind now of like what the what at least like what natural selection looks like. I, I don't remember the descriptions of the other ones. Yeah, I mean definitely like Star Trek, Star Wars have be a very in front of a lot of people's minds. Although even the Expanse, like their ships don't look anything like Star Wars ships. So maybe they're okay with like having just different looking ships. I'm not sure. Um, but just in general, like I thought throughout this chapter, I was thinking how interesting is going to be how they are going to film it. Just because it's always kind of hard to show future what the future looks like without looking too cheesy, you know. And then this future is very different. You know, we have these trees, we have the people living on branches, people going on um, on bicycle helicopter, personal bicycle helicopter things, and then we have the the desolate uh, surface of the planet. Uh, it also reminded me of a little bit. Uh, again, the, there's a movie called Wandering Earth, which was a short story by Lucia Shin, which does a kind of similar concept where people live like far underground and the surface is totally like, desolate, either barren or frozen over. Like they had like a really cool scene of uh, the people walking through Shanghai and it's just totally like it's 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 over, it's uh, it's flooded and then frozen. So like all like the, the I- walls of ice like go over like all the buildings of Shanghai and they're kind of walking through there, which is pretty cool. I'm actually pretty hopeful about everything that happens on planet. I think mm. at least graphically it will look kind of like Ready Player One, if you guys saw that. I haven't yet. Yeah, I mean I'm pretty hopeful that the trees and the way that we like wake up with Luigi at the beginning of this section, it's in this super sanitized hospital and everything seems very effortless and like you don't need to push gurneys, they push themselves and the cups can heat themselves with no batteries. And I think that's easy to impress without having a lot of really complicated, cheesy looking graphics. That's my, it's my hope at least. And I don't yeah. know. What about the, the clothes with the pictures and images <laughs> yeah. on them? Did you have any opinion on that? Did that, did you notice? I noticed, I, I think things like walls and, you know, walls that have screens on them and tables that have screens on them. That's easy to show. I think, I think showing those types of things on, crumpled up packs of cigarettes and on clothes. I think that's going to be much, much more challenging without, and, and especially on, you know, on TV, I think it might be too busy and too distracting to have so many different ads and things moving on the screen at once. Well, you're trying to focus on the character. So but all we need to show is like that they're living in a hyper information age, you know, we don't need to copy everything. And I mean, at least when I look at any Chinese social media, it already feels like hyper information. Like <laughs> it's wall to wall with characters and like every third of the screen is a different color and there's pop ups and it feels like we're already in a second age. I thought the one thing was it was cool was uh, when Dasher like had his like leather jacket on and then he actually just turns it off. <laughs> then it's just like a white shirt. <laughs> Maybe he's the hero of this story. <laughs> Yeah, that was another good choice of like Dasher. Yeah, he's he's definitely heroic. Oh and, yeah, and multiple, multiple times. And he really keeps a level head. Like we're gonna see more in the second part, but like even at a distance, he can spot when political conflicts are going to arise or when there's going to be drama. He's the one who managed to trap the ETO and like let them blow up their bomb with only one casualty. And then in the second part, he like breaks up this above ground and underground hibernators versus non-hibernators conflict and everyone ends up laughing and it's he acknowledges like if i hadn't stepped in they would have started throwing stones Hmm. 
So yeah, Stasha is awesome. Going back to the point about filming, um, I wonder this part particularly, like when they do the really hard cut to the future, I wonder if that's even going to be in the same season, right? Because I can see this book as being two discrete seasons, like the first part until they hibernate and then everything kind of wraps up. And then maybe the maybe it ends with like Luigi waking up in the future, but then like the next season starts with the second part or the second half of this book. I don't know how many episodes they could cram into the, I don't know how many, the, and I, it's not cramp, but as you stretch out like the first half, cause like we've only done, uh, but this is the fourth, three episodes in the, the first half, three episodes in the back half, right? Because it depends on like how much political intrigue they're going to build in there. Maybe they're going to add like additional story, but I'd be interested to see like how they're thinking about breaking the, this book up. I think that'd be pretty exciting to wake up in a new time. That could work. Yeah. It feels like too big to just like, go from an episode break to just another episode in the same season. Like it's such a, such a dramatic change to do it. Like the book does it. You mean just yeah, barely catching your breath. Yeah. When I, when I first read it and I saw like, Oh, you're crisis era, you're two five. Like, Whoa, it's awesome. <laughs> oh. And it, I mean, like you had mentioned in the, in the main show that you hope that, that the next chapter like jumps 200 more years. So it doesn't, but in the next book, it jumps 18 million years. So <laughs> I have a lot of jumping. And actually, like the next book, it jumps around a lot. Like the main character is like constantly hibernating and kind of going like 50 to 100 years in the future. And it happens like a lot of times. So which of the characters uh, from this book also are in Death's End? Budgie is a big one. Okay. Um, yeah, he's, uh, I don't know that Dasher shows up in the third one. I don't remember think he makes it but yeah. Luigi, yeah it's a big one i don't think anybody else i can't i'm trying to think of anybody else but they are alive at the same time but we just don't yeah. really focus on them oh and so fun the trisolarans are in the third oh. book too right, right. Oh, okay trisolarans are around but like yeah so the, the next book it all it goes back to the beginning of the crisis era basically like and, and focuses on a different character but Luigi is sort of in the background at that point, like he's like a, he's a, he's a famous wall facer at that point. Right. So the main character see, I think, is she at the UN when he gets shot or she's around anyway. And when that happens, it's a big event, but yeah, like it, it, it kind of happens simultaneously. So that's why earlier I was thinking like it, someone mentioned on Reddit, like maybe like they'll intercut the two, the two stories. Cause they happen kind of contemporaneously. So like maybe they can kind of cut back and forth and have not have like the show be like, this is book one, book two, book three, but then they have like book one and then book two and three kind of interspaced. I think that could work really well just because of the time cuts that are happening in the third book before the biggest time cut. There's like, yeah. like you were saying, periods of like 20 to 60 years. And we do actually see humanity like enters this hyper information age that we see in this part and then sort of leaves it and quiets down and then goes a little bit more primitive when they have to move everyone to the bunker era and then they rev back up again so i think that would fit really naturally that part of the third book in with the second book for filming purposes yeah and it also keeps those characters around for more than just you know one or two seasons or something and i think that's going to be the biggest thing of like how do they deal with like wang miao and Luqi and Chengxin? like how do they how do they deal with them because they have to get you know some actor they have to have some main character that people can kind of identify with Another interesting part from the the main show that I thought was worth talking about was actually Tim has kind of caught onto it where he was like saying, well, I don't know if humanity is just arrogant. And like, that's what happens. <laughs> like humanity is just like super arrogant about like their potential and their ability to defeat the Trisolarans and they just don't. 
Uh, and that happens like not only against the Tragilarians, but it happens like a bunch of more times into the story. So it, it's cool that he, he picked up on that. He, he also thought like maybe Boaji is just like irrelevant now. And he's, he's not like he's, he has a lot of stuff to happen. And like, I think, I mean, you had a question around the spell. Yeah, I, I think last spoiler cast, I had a question around the spell. And then as I started reading, I, well, I think, I think Talia and you spoiled it for me and then also i started reading ahead so i have a little i have a little more information about what this what the quote-unquote spell really was so that happens like at the very end of this book where the spell becomes reality where it actually like the the star 50 light years away blows up and everyone's like oh my god you did it can i get back to what tim had said yeah so i think if that's true it's probably a testament to the writing in the part that he's reading because for me when I was reading when Luoji wakes up and people are like oh everything's fine now I mean Liu Sushin has just done such a good job so far of making me not believe that and doubt it I was like how could everything have changed so dramatically so it was like very difficult for me to actually get lulled into the sense of security and I think if it worked and Tim thought oh, the wall facers are irrelevant, then that means, like, Liu Sushin has also sort of cast a spell and it's worked, and we also believe that. <laughs> I definitely was fooled by it. I was like, oh, I guess the humans are going to win. Like, the story isn't what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, you know, I guess they do have these ships that can go 20, you know, 50% of the speed of light and have these, like, powerful weapons, so they can defeat the Trisolarians probably, and the Trisolarians need to be kind of limping along. So I, I think throughout the entire series, I was fooled by all the all the the ways humanity kind of built themselves up like i was like oh i guess the bunker project will work and like they'll just the they'll they'll survive the the photite attack nope no <laughs> maybe, maybe i'm just uh naive and uh, gullible <laughs> i mean i couldn't see any of the wall facers plans those were completely opaque to me but as soon as they woke up and were like everything's fine i was very suspicious and just felt like <laughs> uncanny wait a minute we have 300 pages left to go <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, what else, I guess, are you looking forward to? Like, I guess in, in the next parts, like it seemed like you and Tim were, were really into these, these chapters in particular. So which parts are, or what's the, which questions are you really looking to get answered or like looking to get more color on? So, so I, I think, I think the rest of this book has been sufficiently spoiled for me. So mm. I'm, I'm not looking like, I, I think the big questions have been answered but i'm just looking forward to like talia said i enjoy reading this book more than i enjoy reading the last book i think just from a a writing perspective i don't know if Mm. it's the translation or the actual plot is better but i'm just looking forward to reading it and and seeing how things end up where they end up rather than what's going to happen so How, how far ahead did you read I'm I'm almost done with the book actually. I I lost track of where you said to stop for the next episode. So okay. I, I'll I'll have finished the book by the time we get to our next full full reading. Okay, so you got to the droplet part. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like that was the one thing I didn't want to spoil for you, uh, similar to Operation Good Junk, because like that is probably like the most epic moment in the entire series. I think. Mm. <laughs> Like, it's like the big pivotal thing of like, yeah. humanity is like, all right, we got it. No problem. And it's like, oh, it's just a droplet? No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> they use so many metaphors like, oh, it's like such overkill. It's like trying to attack a mosquito with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was and a the, great part. I'm glad that we didn't spoil that. 
Yeah, and like I liked how they all all the ships kind of lined up in a grid to kind of show their power, <laughs> and it just like ended up being a uh, be, being their downfall. Like, that was an unforgivable mistake. That formation, yeah. <laughs> like his navy training kicked in. He was just like shaking his head. <laughs> and uh, I think Tali, you had mentioned in our maybe in our interview talking about the strong interaction forces, which I thought was a really interesting point about how the the Sofan when we originally meet up with the Sofans uh, and. We talk about like how they unfold and then they use that same kind of tech to actually build the the droplet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one drawback that is noted in the footnote about strong interaction force is that it only works over these super, super short distances because it's like finding these the nucleus together. And that's fine if you're just operating on a proton. You can, small is not a problem, but it just shows how advanced their technology is to be able to manipulate that. Yeah, I remember Jim in the first season talked about like the Trisolarans like were thinking too small about like their technology uh, about because they have such a technological advantage like the they shouldn't even bother with going to Earth like they probably can do something better um, and if, yeah if they if they have control over things things like strong interaction forces and being able to unfold protons like maybe they can do something easier than just taking over the earth i think we've we've got it better than we know i think the earth is a pretty sweet place to live i don't think planets fall into this habitable space that often i mean we see in the third book spoilers for the third book a lot of these spaceships spend time looking for planets just advanced humans and advanced other people just look for planets and sometimes even when they find one they're like no, it's too dangerous. It's in like a dangerous part of space. So the whole planet yeah. is scrapped. When when they exit the the pocket universe, they find a planet that's like only like 60% of their criteria. And it's like, well, that's the good we're going to get. Oh, that's gruesome. <laughs> the space is just so big, right? And it's like, yeah, really hard to find. And so given the Trisolarans difficulties with their planet and like all their, their environmental hazards, like, yeah, here it's like, we're in a constant stable era. Like, you know, we're not going to fall into the sun. Like we just have like more or less constant temperature all year long and vegetation grows and you can sustain ourselves. So we should note that this podcast is coming to you from Southern California. <laughs> yeah, everything's been, the Trisolarans moved to Southern California. <laughs> I just agree with Amin. I'm looking forward to finishing this book. One of the things I, I find interesting in these rereads um, of, of these series is like my opinion of the first and second book changes constantly. Like sometimes I think the first book is better. Sometimes I think the second book is better. I think like by doing this podcast and kind of overanalyzing a lot of the sections, I think the second book is definitely better just because like there's so much nuance to it and like the scope just gets way bigger i mean there's not even a question in my mind that the third book's the best one of the three and i think that's pretty universal although i did see a lot of people on reddit there's like there's always these questions on reddit and for some reason people ask like to the three body problem reddit hey should i read the second third book and of course you're going to a three body problem reddit like everyone's gonna say yes like who's gonna say (laughs) no it sucks like those seem counterintuitive to me i think i may have mentioned to you dan on our interview which you should go listen to if you haven't that i bought my the copy I'm reading right now in a bookstore in person. And it really elevated the experience to talk to people who like read books and sold books for most of their working lives because they Mm -hmm. had opinions on this series that I definitely didn't share. Like people saying that they really liked the first two and it was like a slog to get through the third book. Really? I kind of want to go back and pick their brains because that's definitely not how I feel about it. Yeah. I'd be interested to to hear why, like if, I mean, even Especially, Obama liked these books. Yeah. 
I wonder if he actually read the entire series or he just read the first one. And he's too busy to read all, all these books. <laughs> like I saw his like reading list for like 2020 and there's like a million books on there. Like, how does that guy have time to, to read all those things? I mean, and he has a Spotify playlist too. Yeah. I mean, maybe some people, maybe that's just me. I don't read that much. I don't, I don't understand how he can finish like 50 books in a year or something and still be, do all the other stuff that he does. But yeah, I, I doubt he read the entire series. My original point was that a lot of people on the Reddit post were were saying that the second book was was the best one of, of the three, which I thought was, I hadn't seen a lot of that that opinion. So I just, I'm more interested to see, the, to hear why people don't like the third book. So, I mean, hopefully Tim and Amin, you guys like it <laughs> and like it the best. So it's inter- it'll be interesting to hear if like, which, which of the three books you like best after we finish all of them. So in your conversations, does anybody like the first book the best? No, actually, no one's said anything except for the third book. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's, I would guess if you put a poll out there, like probably like 60 to 70 or more percent of people would probably say the third book is their favorite. I'd be actually like interested to see if anyone thinks that the first book is their favorite. Because like, maybe just like people aren't into sci-fi as much because the first book is, I mean, there's sci-fi elements, but it's not anywhere sci-fi as a second or third books, I think. Like yeah, the soap it's a stuff. lot of social dilemmas and cultural revolution and reaction. Yeah, and just kind of mystery, right? It's more of a mystery story than anything. Yeah, yeah, you know, or detective, detective story, like oh, who's 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 sending these messages in my eyes and that kind of thing. So like, there's sci-fi elements to it. It's kind of like a horror story, right? Yeah, maybe Jordan Peele will take the first one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd be interested to know if like anyone does really consider the first book to be their favorite because maybe they're just not into sci-fi as much. Because like, I like this series for the just like the scope of it right just like especially yeah when they wake up when you wakes up in the future and it's like whoa and then you realize all the future the stuff that happened and like the political changes that's where i'm at like that's that's the stuff i'm really into and then in the third book when they keep jumping around to the future and like they really develop like future tech and that kind of stuff that's also like when they talk about the curvature propulsion and all of the things really really great Uh, tally has your opinion of the series changed at all as you're doing this uh as you're rereading I definitely like rereading because I see all the foreshadowing, which I, yeah. I didn't get to see. So I would agree with you that my opinion of a book can be improved by later editions. Like I think more highly of the first book, having read the third one, if that makes sense. It mm. raises the value of, of all of them to have it complete. Yeah, I wish there was a little bit more of a through line, you know, because the, the first book is sort of just on its own, right? Like it's it's like a prequel that has, I mean... Has thematically, like it sets up the events, but like, and there's only a couple of characters that kind of move yeah, over. Yeah, thank goodness Luoji knows Yewenjia's daughter, because otherwise yeah. they'd be really completely divorced. Right, right. <laughs> I, I kind of wish the uh, maybe if they're when they do the TV show, like there'd be a bit more through lines, uh, you know, between all all three books. And I don't, who knows how much stuff they're going to change, but hopefully not too much. But they probably will. Because they're Benny Off and Weiss. They're not going to be able to resist themselves from adding nonsense stories or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, since you you almost finished the book two, are you going to move on to book three? Or are you just going to wait for the for the read-along? No, I'm, I'm going to wait for the read-along. Hmm. I, I want to read ahead, but just the premise of our show is things are being spoiled for me. So I feel like if I already yeah. know what's going to happen, it's we have to find, then we have to convince Tim that he should he should <laughs> let the series be spoiled for him so i'd say the the that's only half of what the, this this show is for like half of it the, kind of the fun of us spoiling it for you but it's also a form for people who have read the entire series to come and like listen to us talk about it without like having to worry about like oh i don't want to say what's gonna happen next but it's gonna be awesome 
you know, we can just talk about it freely. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the other thing I was thinking was, as we get through book three, this show should be shorter and shorter because there's there's less and less <laughs> runway for us to talk about. Well, I think the because the scope of book three is so expansive, then we'll have even more to talk about, possibly. Plus, it's Talia and I's favorite book. So I think just kind of naturally, like I was breaking up the reading list for, for season three or for no, not season three, for the next season oh, for book yeah. three. He put some and real like, work into that. And oh my God, like every time I was like, re- I was like kind of breaking down like the all events that happened in each episode. And it's like, it just got me so excited to read it again. <laughs> Cause like, I just love in, in every episode we have jam packed with stuff that happened and like, it just moves at like a really fast clip and everything is like interesting and twist and turn all over the place. So. Yeah, it's dangerous to listen to as I did while driving because it's like, (laughs) whoa, suddenly I'm going 90. This is just so thrilling. (laughs) Talia, when you were were listening to it while you're driving, did you ever just get to your destination and stay in the parking lot for 10 extra minutes so you can keep listening? Yeah, uh, when I got there sometimes, I was like, well, we need to find out what happens. So we'll just idle here in the driveway. My (laughs) prediction for the future, I know, I mean, you think that we'll have less runway to spoil you but my oh my gosh like we're indulgent parents um my <laughs> prediction is that like you're gaining so much knowledge by the end of this you're just going to be like informing us like dan and i will speak like two percent of the time and you'll just be <laughs> informing us yeah it's, it's, it'll be interesting to know like you know given the because like i read it pretty fast right i read the first two books pretty fast or listen to them. Or I, I went through them pretty fast. And then I read the the third book. And I, I guess I didn't have as much context uh, as you would have had because we've been talking about the series for five months or whatever it's been <laughs> when we started this podcast. So like, hopefully you have a lot more context as you're reading it and kind of looking for things more uh, more deeply than than I would have when I when I read it. Yeah, maybe you can wait until like if you're already to the point where you're kind of reading ahead because you want to know what happens. I I don't know how you're going to be able to resist yourself when you get to death's end. <laughs> Maybe you'll have to like do what we did and make someone else read it. Just share it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we have more people to talk about it with. Well, yeah. going to have like 10 people on here by the end of it. <laughs> have to find somebody who's not spoiled. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guest star idea I'm so excited about. I don't know if you want to spoil your own podcast on your podcast, but I'm pretty excited <laughs> for what you guys are going to do with the third book the next season. Yeah, so I I could talk about it a little bit. So my I, I want to my idea and the idea around the the interview series has always been to have uh, more community involvement and get more voices and more opinions, and that's how I met Talia. And so kind of building an idea of like bringing people, other other guest hosts into the main show uh, to kind of talk uh, to be another voice on that episode to kind of get even more opinions and kind of have. Uh, more people excited about it because pretty much everyone I talk to uh, has been really excited about Dust End and everyone I talk to has been great. If you are interested in guest hosting um, an episode, you know, reach out to me via any of the, our, our means. Just go to rehydrate.space and you'll see how to contact us. And then, yeah, we can we can set it up. There's some scheduling things we need to work out and whatever, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at RehydratePod. Please join us next episode for Droplet, which is awesome, the second third of part three of The Dark Forest by Lucy Shin. Thanks.